The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome new listeners to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I have been doing this podcast since April of 2013, and I have always been a podcast fanatic. I love listening to podcasts. I love hearing people talk about their lives. And the reason I started this podcast was at the time I was on a TV show called Chelsea Lately, where I was appearing nightly, making jokes about celebrities. And then people could also see me on Drunk History, where I was getting wasted talking about history. And nobody really seemed to know who I was. Did they think people thought I was drunk like that all the time? Or they thought, oh, Jen only cares about Lindsay Lohan. And I felt like, you know what? I really want people to know who I am. And unfortunately, when I was on the road a lot, people would be at my shows screaming out, let's get drunk or whatever. And I thought, oh, they don't really know me. I'm not that fun. And so as a joke, I said, I'm going to do a podcast called I Seem Fun, meaning, but I'm not. And then I called it the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast because it was supposed to be a once a week and it still is solo podcast where I talk about what went on with me during the week, whether it's serious or silly you know, kind of curmudgeon-y complaining, whether it's something going on in the world, something political. I've cried on this podcast. I've taken you guys deep into my life, breakups and get-back-togethers and family stuff. It's just like your friend talking to you who's rude and doesn't let you get a word in edgewise. And it's off the top of my head every week. I prepare briefly the topics I want to talk about, but that's it. It's just a fun free-for-all where you can just see the real me. And, uh, I hope you enjoy it. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can listen on Google Play. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on SoundCloud. And uh, I'll give you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen 
Cockman. See, I can't even advertise my own fucking show. What makes I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast funny, is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action lawsuit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. That is from the Onion AV Club. So if you're curious, well, I guess you can start with this episode and go through the backlog. If you want to stay, here comes the podcast. You're about to get on the ride. I see Seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode two thirty eight. I'm sorry about last week's audio. At the beginning of the episode, I was like, "This microphone's amazing," and it was. I just had it in the wrong setting, and I didn't know until it was out because it sounded normal on the thing that I play it back on. I just hadn't heard it back on this other thing. Oh, who cares? This is so boring. So I apologize. I know there's nothing worse than when a podcast sounds a little bit off. It's just enough to take you out of it. Anyway, I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. Follow us at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter, facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. Check out my website, jenkirkman.com. Click on the podcast page and you can read recent show descriptions, and find out all the different ways to listen to this podcast. We are on SoundCloud and Libsyn and iTunes and Google Play and now Spotify. Send an email to iseemfun at gmail.com if you want me to talk about something or you need some advice or just whatever. Go to allthingscomedy.com. I am lucky to be part of that for Comedians by Comedians Network. If you want to check out some other podcasts, this, that's a good place to start. And that's it. Give my podcast five stars on iTunes. Subscribe, write a review. The review this week should be, um, this is my favorite boring podcast. And then uh, watch my special, Just Keep Living. It, it is not performing the way the first one did. And I know why. I know what they did with their algorithm. I'm not going to get into it, but I have my suspicions. But go give it a thumbs up. Okay. How's all this? Today's episode is sponsored by Quip. Suave and Talkspace. We will get to all of our fantastic sponsors in a minute. Now, now, how about I get the depressing, let's get the depressing out of the way. Depressing out of the way. It's been a horrendous week of celebrity suicides. Yes, I know people commit suicide every day and we don't talk about them. I totally get it. But I was very saddened both by Anthony Bourdain and, and Kate Spade. Now, uh, I have opinions. I'll give you my opinions. If you were to have coffee with me this week, this is what you might have heard. Or, except that if you had coffee with me this week, you would have been chatting as well. I wouldn't just sit at... I don't bring a microphone to coffee. That, that would be so weird because it wouldn't even amplify what I was saying, because I'd, be, I'd bring a microphone and my podcast recording rig, um, 
and you'd be like, well, I can't, I mean, it's weird. You're holding a microphone to your face and yet, thank God it's not amplified throughout the coffee shop, Jen, but it's not even so, but it doesn't even make sense that it's not. So is that like a safety thing for you? Like the way that, uh, people light a cigarette when they're nervous, you just have to hold a microphone. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm podcasting. I'm trying to show, no, 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 don't act like you're on a podcast. Don't get nervous. I'm trying to show my listeners that I actually do conversations with people and I don't just sit by myself and talk. Anyway, um, oh my God, I'm just reading this. It just came up on my breaking news. I don't know who this is. Axer. Axer. I'm literally, it's two in the afternoon on a Sunday. I've had coffee. Could, couldn't be more sober. Uh, and I'm, I don't know why I can't pronounce words. Actor Jackson Odell, 20, was found unresponsive at a home in Tarzana, California on Friday. Autopsy has not been performed. Uh, oh, God. Everybody stop. So, the Kate Spade news. Now, Nobody knows more than me. I don't know if you remember my famous podcast episode about, uh, I think it's from 2014, about people who say, Madonna can't have heartbreak. She's Madonna. She's rich. And I explain, I've cried on a yacht, people. You can have money or be living a fabulous life and and it, and it breaks my heart that so few people understand what depression is. It is a disease. It is physical. I am trying to stop myself from singing Olivia Newton-John's Let's Get Physical. Let's get physical, physical. I want to get physical. Let's get into physical. Okay, sorry. I had to do it. It had been bothering me the whole time. If depression were cured by outside circumstances, then millions and millions of people would not fucking have depression. Um, or anxiety or whatever. And it's, you know, it ebbs and flows. I don't I can't get into it. It's like, I'm not an expert. I, I have chemical depression. I also have other things that sometimes my depression ebbs and flows. Sometimes I need to be medicated. Sometimes I've gone through periods where I don't. Like right now, Last year, I was on Wellbutrin and Pristique. I realized I don't like the way Pristique is making me feel. I'm going off. Hadn't been on a proper antidepressant in a long time. And then I'm like, well, Wellbutrin kind of helps with my ADD, and I'm very low and very depressed. It's sort of like a dopamine uh, hit. And then the last few months, I've, my anxiety's been back. I've been having like panic attacks. My uh, Separate than that, like I felt like my heart's beating too fast, and I was like, oh, that's a Wellbutrin. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm over the hump. And I know that people cannot go on and off meds like this, but that's what my disease of depression looks like. It's been lifelong. Uh, it's not in the lowest of the low phase. It's, it's sort of an anxiety thing, a restlessness. It's an ADHD area. Like mine has morphed and changed. Um, and I have to stay very in touch with myself. But so this week, like having gone off the medication, like, yeah, I feel really unfocused I don't feel sad, boo-hoo. I feel depressed. Like, I just want to isolate. I want to be by myself. Um, I'm showering and brushing my teeth and lighting candles. I have seen people. But my first instinct is to just, like, just be quiet and be at home right now. Now, now, that may just be a thing I'm going through because I'm about to go to London next week and do all these things. And, oh, by the way, come see my show in London Friday, 
June 22nd, 9.30 p.m. Just one show, people, at the Leicester Square Theater. And then I tell you, I will not be coming back to Europe for a while. I am pitching a TV show over in London, so, of course, if they purchase the show, um, then I will be coming back, but not to do gigs to film the show. Okay. So come see that show. I really need the audience. Tickets on sale. They're only 15 pounds. Go to my website, jenkirkman.com. Click tour dates. Anyway, I don't want to need to get to a whole long thing on depression, but I want to talk about suicidal depression, of which I am not an expert. My friend Maria Bamford can really talk about this really well. Um, and you know what? I might even read an article she wrote. Well, I'll read it at the end because I think it'll be uplifting. Um, so here's the deal. The first of all, I was very upset about the Kate Spade news. I know better than anyone. Oh yeah. This is what I was saying that money and relationships and you have a kid and you have cute purses. I know none of that can make you happy. Now it can make you feel smiley and giddy. And of course you could be happy, but it doesn't fix the hole in the soul. And now a lot of my stuff is like, uh, like I love fun things because, because of depression and hole in the soul. Like I have to have cute things around me because it, it like perks me up on an external level, really like in addition to the serious work that I do on, on myself. But with Kate Spade, it was like, I know that her life wasn't perfect, but it was interesting because last year when I was going through my breakup and, and being, going through the breakup brought up all this stuff in my life that I wasn't looking at, that I, that like, I wasn't living to my full potential anyway. So I will eternally be grateful for this breakup. It was, it wouldn't, my life wouldn't have gotten any better if it hadn't happened. It kind of forced me into a bottom to like, look at things. Well, I remember one day listening to Kate and her husband, Andy Spade, who ironically is David Spade's brother. He is, um, on NPR and they're talking about how they built their business and blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, I would love that. Like to have, you know, you and your partner, you, you like, cause I don't want kids, but like the partner I have, like, it's important to me in a partnership to, to, uh, the partner I would have, I'm saying, Oh God, I can't even speak English to build something together whether it's something creative or whatever. So I really admire that they had this company and, you know, I was just like, sorry for myself and all that kind of thing when I was listening to it. And it was like, I don't even think I finished the interview because I was like too jealous. Now, I love Kate Spade products. Um, my podcast folder that I'm holding in front of me right now uh, is black with gold polka dots. I have Kate Spade paper clips, tape dispenser, thumbtacks, everything in my little home office, pens, pen holders, candles, the water bottles that I, you know, that you walk around with and you go hiking these beautiful glass water bottles with like gold sparkles around them. I love her stuff. It's like sparkly fun, whatever. And I remember my friend said to me, she's like, I'm just not as organized as you like, look, you have all your cute things. I'm like, but that's why I have my cute things because Ultimately, it takes time out of the day and it's a pain in the ass to organize stuff. But if I can do it with cute things, it makes it fun. Now, I went and I have uh, this keychain of hers. It's a little New York cab. I see, I look at that every day. It brings me joy. I've got a few of her wallets. I've got 
Um, I don't think I have a Kate Spade purse. Her purse purses weren't exactly my thing, but I liked them. I was just wandering around her store a couple months ago. Just, I like to look. It's just cute. I love her stuff. And so in a weird way, I always like make my home happy with her products. Now I know she hasn't been the CEO of the company in 10 years, but just her brand, you know, what she put out into the world was like happy, fun. I'm a lady who takes care of business, but with, you know, a gold pen. And I truly did. If you said to me, whose life, who do you think, you know, we all know that nobody's life is perfect and that we're all hiding something or underneath it all there's pain. But whose do you think is like maybe the exception to that? I'd be like, oh, Kate Spade. And so I was personally blown away because I put my bets on one person in the world that I'm like, no, 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 I totally get it. Everyone else, everyone else suffers. But she doesn't. <laughs> I mean, not that I didn't think she suffered, but you know what I mean? So it's like, I wasn't surprised because I'm never surprised with anything because it's humanity. But I was like, wow, did I buy into the brand? So what bothered me about everything is they published some of the suicide note and everybody took it. What I'm assuming is the wrong way where they're like, she told her daughter, ask daddy. She put this all on her daughter. And I guess she said something like, this is not your fault. Ask daddy. And I took it to mean, ask your father. He will tell you about me and the problems I had that I shielded from you. I don't think it meant our marriage wasn't going well. Ask your father why this happened. Because again, it doesn't explain it. It would go against the very thing that suicide is and isn't. It isn't a literal, we were having problems. Guess I'll kill myself. Ask your father. It's like, that suicide's not petty. Okay. And it's something that people, like her sister said, she was fascinated with Robin Williams and the way he killed himself. And she did it the exact same way. It's the new way the kids are doing it now on the doorknob. You're not, I mean, I don't even know. I don't get it. I don't get the hanging. I don't get it. But here's what I know about about the human body. When you put yourself in a situation where you're about to end your life, like the body, whether you want it to or not, can fight back. So you have to be in such a place that you're like ready for that and you just keep letting it go. So it's like, I don't mean to say people who are suicidal have lost their mind. That's not what I mean. But there's a shift where you, you go away, you go to another place, you go, because this is my opinion and it's based on people I've known who've killed themselves. It's based on, and, and what I've seen them kind of deteriorate into before it happened. It's never when, when I'm sad, I made a rash decision. These are, these are planned out things for a long time. And it's almost like you're waiting to really feel so nothing that you can do it and not um, regret it at the last minute while it's too late. And it's almost like a bipolar, a mania. A lot of people commit suicide do have that. Your brain is telling you to do it. And this notion that people keep saying, well, she had kids. She should have held on for her kid. And everyone with their stupid, um, you know, I mean, I do it too. Like, because there are enough people who do know, like, who, who aren't there yet, but who are like, holding suicide in in their back pocket. I was like, maybe I would do that someday. Like I would say if you're even there now, call someone. But, but what I'm saying is people who are like, do it for your kids, hang on for your kids. It's like, 
These people aren't like dumb dummies who are going, should I stay around for my kid? I'm supposed to love my kid, right? You're, you've almost like gone clinically insane for a minute. Like you, you truly think that you have made no difference in anyone's life and that like in Kate Spade's mind, like the kid's going to be fine. It's, she loves her so much, but she's not connected to reality in that moment. It's, it's like you lose it and go somewhere else, which is the thing that gives you the ability to take your own life, which is a hard thing to do. Like it's physically hard to accomplish for the most part. And it's physically hard to get that, just to go over the edge to that moment, just right over the edge to that moment, which where you're actually want nothing just to feel nothing. And It just really bothers me how little people understand it because to say it was selfish and somebody left their kid behind and that being your instinct instead of, wow, somebody left their kid behind. They must've been in beyond pain. They must've been in a psychological state that I couldn't even comprehend because it's not, I had a friend who recently suffered a suicide, someone close to her. And she kept saying, um, it just makes me so sad that in that moment, that was her choice. I'm like, I don't think it's quite as much of a choice as you think it is. You know, it's a complete, like, even my mother, who's having chronic pain in her wrists and has to get surgery, she's like, the pain is so bad, I now understand people who kill themselves from pain, emotional or physical. Like, it's just, you start to go crazy, like literally crazy from the emotional pain. It's not like, boo-hoo, I'm sad, I'll do this. It's not that. That's taking a nap. Boo-hoo, I'm sad, I want to drown out the world. That's when you take a nap. That's a choice. But mommy, I want to play. Well, I want a nap, honey. That's a choice. And I, don't, I can't really speak to it any more intelligently than I already am. But that selfish bullshit, is just, it's just trite. It's just basic. You know, educate yourself about what the chemicals in someone's mind goes through. And I would say most suicides are motivated by more of a gigantic sense of self-hatred and loathing and anger than they are sadness. It's not boo-hoo time. So anyway, I, I, I found that it's just a lot for um, people that are left. You know, people have questions. I felt sad about Anthony Bourdain. I also know that he was a heroin addict many decades ago and he didn't get, you know, he stopped using drugs, but, you know, I'm a big believer in 12-step programs and fixing that spiritual malady and or if you want to do therapy, whatever, but he still drank a little bit here and there. There were demons. He was outrunning them, you know, and, um, they caught up, you know, it was like he hadn't fully, the thing that made him use drugs, like that thing that wasn't fully replaced with something else. Um, and I feel sad for him too. I mean, it, it sounds, I don't really, to be honest, I loved his show in many ways and I'd watch clips, but I, I used to TiVo it, TiVo it, you know what I'm saying? DVR it tape it, cassette record it. And every episode I felt that I personally taped was like, I'm cutting the head off a chicken in Dubai, which is fine. I'm not like saying, cause I'm a vegetarian in America, um, that everyone needs to do my white woman bullshit. I'm just saying, I just didn't want to watch a chicken's head get cut off. So I feel like every episode I happened to tape was like, I'm gutting a pig who's also a fish. And I was like, Oh, I just want to look at you, watch you walk around and look at rugs. So anyway, um, that's my inarticulate uh, discussion about suicide, but
you're really doing a disservice to sick people when you tell them to get help. That's why people don't get help is first of all, they feel judged. Second of all, your brain is telling you, don't get help. You're not worth it. Your brain is like, I could get help, but I can't. Have you ever had the flu, like the bad enough flu where you have to go get that Tamiflu shit? Where you, if you stood up, you're so dizzy, you're going to throw up or your back is out. Imagine if someone went, drive to the chiropractor. You'd be like, no, I physically can't. That's how depression feels. You know, somewhere in there, go get help, but you it's actually physical. You cannot, your brain will not allow it. And the other thing is you feel so bad or so disconnected because, because depression isn't, isn't, um, sadness. Depression is the absence of feeling. You don't care about yourself. Go get help. Yeah, no shit. You can't do it when you're that bad. There's moments, there's glimmers. And in those moments, someone's going to grab you and help you. That's why it's more on the other people in your life than you yourself asking for help. And if someone you know has asked you for help and then they just suddenly seem better and they've dropped it, keep on them. I mean, you don't have to be codependent about it, but that doesn't mean everything's okay. It means they've decided not to bother anyone anymore by telling them shit. So my point is, when you feel that way, you can't, quite do anything about it in a, in a lot of ways. And there's part of you that can get comfortable in a, maybe in the more mild depression world, there's a com- part of you that gets comfortable with it. And you're like, I could live with this. Everyone has to have their bad thing, right? So some people have diabetes, some people have a tricky hip. Well, mine's depression and, and, you know, I could be thriving in life, but, uh, this is about okay. Because see, you see, what if I get help and I don't get better? That's more depressing than if I just don't get help. A lot of people think that too. So, you know, I would just cool it with the uh, armchair psychiatry on Twitter where we're telling people um, that they should live for their kids or they, should, they shouldn't do that and this because it's selfish. It's like, then you don't understand what this disease is. Now, I'm going to lift us back up. But first of all, I'm going to tell you what an opportune time to tell you about my favorite sponsor, Talkspace. And let me tell you, the fact that we can talk on this podcast about mental health is such a miracle to me that there is a company that does what Talkspace does so that people who aren't ready to take that step and maybe physically drive somewhere, look at someone face-to-face, or their their insurance doesn't cover it, um, you have the opportunity right now, if you have any kind of phone, tablet, computer, you can do this. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N. Talkspace is the online therapy company that enables you to improve your mental health from anywhere, anytime. And that's what's most important and such a miracle about one of the good things of technology. Get matched with a licensed therapist. This isn't some just, you know, your idiot friend giving you advice at lunch. This is a licensed therapist, master's degree. From over 2,000 choices of therapists, you can message them whenever you need to. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N, and use the code Jen to get $45 off of your first month and to show your support for this podcast, okay? It's a fraction of the cost to go to traditional therapy face-to-face. And listen, there is nothing wrong with feeling out of control or scared or anxious or going, I don't, 
I don't even know. Maybe I'm not deep enough to need therapy. You don't have to be. It's not a thing about being deep or having childhood trauma. And sometimes it is about that. But everything that you are, and I say this with love, has been diagnosed before. So you're in good hands. There is somewhere that you fit in, in this, uh, in this world of mental health issues. And it could be as easy as getting something off your chest, talking about work, talking about life. I don't know. It's, it's between you and your therapist. It's practical everyday strategies for stress management and a happier life. Again, go to Talkspace.com slash Jen. Right now, you can just read about it. And to sign, if you sign up, you get $45 off of your first month and to show your support for my podcast. Now, I got a funny email from someone who said, the first three episodes of your podcast I listened to, I thought you were saying Talkspace, T-O-X dash S-P-A-C-E in the ads for Talkspace. You know, like get rid of toxic people and behaviors through therapy made me laugh when I finally figured it out. It reminds me of when I misheard the lyrics of Only the Lonely by the Motels. I thought it was only the lonely get laid. I couldn't believe they were playing that on the radio. And as you guys know, the lyrics are only the lonely can play. I think it's can play. It makes more sense than get laid. So I am not saying talks space. I am saying talk space, T-A-L-K space, as in talking space, talk space. So thank you for pointing that out. Maybe other people thought I was saying the wrong thing too. So this is article was in the New York Times um, in 2017 by my friend Maria Bamford, hilarious comedian. Oh my God. I mean, she is just a mental health miracle. So I'm going to read this. It's called The First Time Someone Loved Me for Who I Really Am. Maria Bamford. And if you want to look at the archives of this, um, again, it came out in October 2017 in the New York Times. At the age of 43, I had never had a relationship last more than a year. My colleagues in comedy suggested that it was par for the course in our business and that paired with my psychiatric issues, I might never be eligible for lifelong commitment. But strangely, it was when I was hospitalized in a psych ward that I first found real hope that I could be married one day. Back in 2010, I had been dating a guy for a few months. It was a fast romance, but he broke it off quickly and kindly when he discovered that I was having problems with what I thought was just bad depression. After the breakup, I decided it was the perfect time to try a new medication, a mood stabilizer that my psychiatrist had recommended. Then I signed myself into a facility because I was a little scared of killing myself. 72 hours on the new med and I'll be good as new, I thought to myself, then off to four shows in Chicago. No matter how bad I felt, work came first. At a hospital in Pasadena, California, I was speaking with a fellow jittery patient. He was in his early 50s and said that he had bipolar disorder. I was worried whether I would ever work again, so I asked him what he did. He said he had left a high-stress position in international law and now worked part-time at a used bookstore in the San San Bernando Valley. He had been on disability for several years and needed to enter a mental health facility about once a year for flare-ups of depression or mania. This was horrifying news to me. Disability? I mean, it's okay to take a break, but what if this is actually a full-time chronic illness? Take work away and I'm a lump, a useless weighted drag on everyone's resources. I checked out of the hospital a few days later, hoping to feel better on the new medication. 
But as I flew to Chicago, I knew something was wrong. I somehow ended up bleeding, hysterical, and lost downtown without any identification an hour before showtime. My manager heard me hyperventilating over the phone and canceled all four shows. Thus began a breakdown. Every moment of my life felt unbearable for a year and a half of hospitalizations and outpatient treatment programs. I drooled. I dropped glassware. I passed out face first into Caesar salads. I could not think, had difficulty speaking, and could not in any way work. I kept asking other patients the same questions. Do you still have a job? Do you think you'll ever be able to work again? I kept asking my doctors when they thought I'd be well enough to go back to comedy. Of course, none of them could guarantee full recovery. But I did gather some surprising information that I wasn't particularly interested in at the time. Many patients had partners and wives and husbands. There was the wife and mother of grown children receiving ECT treatments that caused short-term memory loss, a young woman who, after a psychotic episode involving the KGB and aliens, spoke of her longtime boyfriend and all the support he provided when she was fired from her sales job. There was the man who came into the ward after a manic, knife-wielding episode in which he might have stabbed someone. I was very out of it and couldn't get the whole story. He chatted amiably with his wife during visiting hours. Over and over again, I encountered people with debilitating mental illness who were also part of a couple. They weren't working. They needed care. They were a burden. And yet, they were loved. I started to think, that could be me. If I ever got better, maybe I would meet someone who could love me as I am. That maybe work or no work, I'd no longer have to wait to be lovable. Translation, productive, in order to be loved. And I was right. A year and a half later, when my mood had stabilized, I still had a tremor and memory problems. I met a man named Scott through OkCupid. It was his second internet date, my 97th. It wasn't particularly magical, just nice. We met for coffee and he was easy to talk to. I love art and that's what he does. He thought I was funny and he loves comedy. He really wanted to go out again despite the fact that he had Googled me and knew about my perceived deal breaker. On our second date, a hike with my dog in Griffith Park, he was eager to share his own perceived flaws. $52,000 in student loans, arthritis, an overheating 92 Saturn, can't travel by airplane. And then on our fourth date, he said one of the most romantic things I've ever heard. I know they don't let you have sharp stuff in the psych ward. When my mom was there, she grew a little beard. If that happens to you, I'll come in and shave your beard. His mother, Linda, has passed away, but I think she'd be proud that her son is ready with a daisy razor. I've been stable for the past several years, but I am comforted by that promise of support. Our mutual failure with long-term relationships, Scott had made it to three years, is weirdly what makes us both so committed and connected. As they say in 12-step recovery, it's weakness, not strength, that binds us to each other. Scott and I have been moody in front of each other many times, most recently when we moved and he saw me scream for the first time over a television placement. But we talked about what is now called the regrettable incident of the television placement with our couples therapist the next day and later laughed about it with friends. And Scott has his own embarrassing emotional lows too. It's no secret who we are and what our flaws are. I think that's what love is, not having to hide exactly who you are. We got married on March 14th, 2015, and have been together for four years, both breaking our previous records. So there you go. There's some hope for all y'alls out there.
And you know what the depressed person's thinking? Well, yeah, of course that can happen for her, not me. That's how it always goes, folks. I hear you out there. I know you just thought that. You can't hide from Jen. All right. Let's talk about some fun things. Hey, not that suicide and depression aren't fun things to talk about. I don't mean to act like they're not. I do not mean to say that. Oh, my God. So sometimes listeners just email me, you know, they want advice or they're like, hey, let's talk about this fun topic. And sometimes people just vent. And I found this email hilarious. Uh, This gentleman wrote me, so I'm in a salon getting new bleach base, bored out of my mind right now. This is the second time I've been to this place and it's the second time the owner's kids are here running around and being annoying. They are roughly six years old, way, way past the acceptable baby age for having a child at work. I am slowly going insane. People who have kids at their jobs all the time, especially customer service jobs, are behaving in a completely unacceptable manner and are crazy making deluxe. Um, or how about you email me that? I seem fun at gmail.com. Do you bring your kids to work or do you hate when people do it? I want to hear both sides, everybody, both sides, both arguments, both arguments. Oh boy. So guys, oh, Hey, speaking of hair, BT dubs, I'm loving our new sponsor Suave. Now I, I'm going to tell you Suave is, is I'm using their products. So now I know not everyone's hair is the same, but for people like me, who have damaged hair. And I'm sorry to say that about my hair. You're not damaged. You're loved. You're just a little difficult. But you know what? It's not your fault, hair. It's not your fault. I'm the one that put all the chemicals on you. And and you're not reacting perfectly. And I'm taking it out on you. I need to soothe my hair. Because I love the way my little crazy little blonde streaks in my hair look. And I'm going to keep lightening them. I'm going for bitchy fashion editor. That's my look. And when I went to the salon and told the woman that, she didn't really understand. I mean, she understood the look I meant. But then she's like, so you're a fashion editor? I'm like, no. I just want to look like one. So so obviously I like the way my hair looks, but I hate the damage that it causes. That's why I started giving it a little tender loving care with Suave Coconut Oil Infusion Shampoo and Conditioner. That's right, Suave. You know Suave. You go, Suave makes shampoo? Yes, they do. You get it at the drugstore. It smooths my hair and makes it look healthy. It actually works, but don't take my word for it. With Suave's money-back guarantee, you can try it for yourself. Suave for hair you can believe. Now, I'm telling you, I'd heard that they had hair care, and I was uh, at the drugstore in New York, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. And I bought it. And it, usually I use different hair care, like when I'm traveling, I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll just use whatever. But now it's like becoming my regular shampoo. And my hair, it, oh, that thing where like I get out of the shower, I comb it, it's already like detangled because it's nice and soft. And then when it dries, it just feels silky. So that, the, that's the one I use, the Damage Repair Suave Coconut Oil Infusion. And it's way less expensive. Now, they didn't tell me to say this. Maybe they don't want me to say it. But I feel you need to know that I've used the, like, I'm putting caviar in here, and I'm a celebrity hairstylist with my own hairline. All that crap, to me, didn't work. And I know Suave didn't say, would you... St-? I'm sure they aren't like, would you stop calling the other products crap? But I, this worked for me. And so I was excited that they got to be a sponsor on the podcast because I try to sponsor things that I use. So they've got all different kinds. Give it a try. JK, live in it. JKL. Go get yourself some Suave. Ladies, men too, anybody. 
I don't, I don't give a shit what you do. I don't give a shit who you are. Anyway, so. What was I going to? Oh, so the busy businesswoman thing. So somehow it's one of those things. I thought I made it up. It was probably in my psyche from somewhere. Maybe I did make it up. But John Mulaney, I guess, has said it like 10 years ago on a special. And he's like doing something with it. It's like a thing. Now, I can cry in my milk all I want to, but I don't drink milk, so I can't. I did not, I cannot keep saying busy businesswoman because that's John's thing. So, but if I am so not creative that I can't live without saying busy businesswoman, then I got problems. You know what I mean? So, therefore, when we talk about busy businesswomen in Hallmark movies, Sure, that's what we mean, but just know that probably somewhere in my brain it came from somewhere and maybe originated originated with Mulaney, but we can call them anything we want. We can call them, we understand what we mean, right? I mean, really the joke of the busy businesswoman is that her job is so vague it makes no sense. Like one of my favorite, and by the way, there's 31 new, oh my God, we're going to talk about it in a second. One of my favorite things about the busy businesswoman is her vague job. Like there was this one movie last year. It made no sense. It was about a product that this woman at this company, she worked at this company. Um, I think they were in advertising. So like if you were like Bloomingdale's, you'd go to them and be like, I need you to create my new ad campaign for, you know, Bloomingdale's. And they'd go, okay. So there was a company called Christmas in a Box And it was just a box, and inside of it was all the Christmas you would need. But they never said what was in the box. Like, it comes with a tree and a bunch of things you can decorate with and some gift cards you can give out. And it it didn't say what Christmas in a box was. It was a mystery, which is like the number one bad idea in storytelling is to literally have a box and you don't reveal what's in it. So this woman who worked at this advertising company had to come up with an ad campaign for Christmas in a box. It was a week before Christmas, but oh no, they weren't coming up with Christmas in a box for, for that Christmas, the one in a week. It was for the next year. What the fuck? So she had this time to work the week before Christmas, not on deadlines or wrapping things up, just start a whole new brand new project for the the calendar year of next year. And they were going to reveal Christmas in a box, which was just a picture of a box on some website, like, you know, let's say it was Macy's, like French paint. What kind of store, online store, would advertise a thing coming soon, Christmas in a box? Oh, for this year? Oh, no, next year. Who gives a fuck? It made no sense. And they're like, this website will go viral. Websites don't go viral. Who is writing this? Someone, can someone under the age of 21 go through these scripts and make sure people my age writing it don't sound like fucking morons. Cause we do. The website's going to go viral. That's not a thing that happens. A video clip can go viral. You pass it around. A website is viral. It's, a, it's out there. It's a, I, I can't even, who, why am I yelling at you guys about this? Get me some Hallmark writers on the phone. Oh my God. I will tell you one thing though. If you want to give yourself Christmas today, I'm going to talk to you guys about my favorite toothbrush. And I know you're like, a toothbrush? Come on, Jen. Let's talk about something sexy. I'm telling you. I'm obsessed with my Quip toothbrush. Everything in my home, like I was saying before, has to be cutesy, cutesy, tootsy. 
This is a, my toothbrush color is like a rose gold. It's sleek. It's not like the bulky kind. It's all one shape and size, if that makes sense. It's just sleek and you can mount it on your mirror in the bathroom. And I always think if you're like, do you change your toothbrush every three months? I'm like, oh, totally. It's totally not. I probably go like a year without even knowing it until I started using Quip and they are one of our sponsors today. So first of all, go to getquip.com slash fun, dot com slash fun. And here's the deal. It's a subscription service for a toothbrush, but here's what's awesome about it. It's an electric toothbrush. It was named one of the best inventions, 2016 Time Magazine, best electric toothbrush by GQ. It's literally the perfect brush. It's quiet. It's not bulky. The bristles have sonic vibrations and guiding pulses to get simpler brushing. There's no excessive power or unnecessary modes. It's just a two-minute clean, and they have 30-second quadrant timers. So you do 30 seconds on that side, 30 second. You get the deal. It's fit for everywhere. It doesn't weigh you down. You don't have to have a, you know, some big stand to put it in. It's waterproof and shower safe. It comes with a wireless suction holder. It's slim, hygienic, and it comes with a travel cover. And they have their own toothpaste, which is awesome. It is minty fresh. The heads are affordable. Every three months, you can get on these optional uh, auto refill plans. And every three months, the new toothbrush is shipped to you. And it's an anti-cavity mint toothpaste. Okay. I'm telling you, it's backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, dentists, hygienists, dental students. You can get free, uh, you can get new brush heads every three months for just $5 free shipping worldwide. I'm telling you, it's going to be love at first brush. You don't have to worry about anything. It does it for you. So again, listen to me, hear me now. Quip, getquip.com slash fun. And here's what's going to happen. And by the way, I know this sounds stupid, but people have commented on my Quip toothbrush because I work in an office and I bring my toothbrush to work because I like to brush my teeth in the middle of the day. And people are always like, oh my God, I'm always like freaked out when people don't brush their teeth during the day at work. I'm like, you know, you're going like nine hours with, you've had coffee and now you've had like onions in your thing at lunch. Like, why would you not, you know? So, um, but people are always like, ooh, and your toothbrush is so cute. It's like, yeah, why would I not, why would I, anyway, getquip.com slash fun. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash fun. Quip can start at just $25. You can subscribe to receive new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just $5, including free shipping. Do it. Do it. Getquip.com slash fun. Be like me. All right. God, I'm throwing all these papers around everywhere. What was I going to goddamn say? Oh, so many fun things. Okay. Oh, more fun than that depression stuff? Yes. All right. So I'm super excited about Hallmark this year. Um, I did a little bit of, okay. I had this candle in my living room. Uh, imagine like a really tall, like maybe three foot, maybe even more like four foot high candlestick, like candle holder. 
was wooden. And then you put a candle on top of it. So I'm watching a movie with a friend the other night and I'm like, do you hear that crackling? They're like, yeah. I'm like, hang on. And I go over to blow out the candle. It's already dripped all the way down the side of the thing. It looked like a mountain, like a snow avalanche. And it was like all over my wood floor. And it like all over the side of this, like, well, it's not real leather because I hate the smell of leather furniture, but like fake leather chair in my living room. I'm like, oh my God. It was just one of those moments where I'm like, I have to move. I don't even want to clean. Like I'm moving. I'm not cleaning this up. Can I just move? Can, um, so basically, I took that candle holder and I just threw that out. I was like, I'm not ever going to get all the wax off this. I mean, it was like, I'll have to show you a picture. It was crazy. But I don't think, you know, it's like a condo. I don't think my floors are like real hardwood floors. They look really nice, but I don't think they're real. So I was reading, everyone's like, put ice on it. There's no ice. First of all, if you ever want to get um, a candle wax out of a candle, you just burn it until it's like almost about to not be able to be burned anymore. And then when it, and then you blow it out. And when the wax is still goopy and hot, you just scoop it out with a candle. And then you take like a, um, you know, like a Brillo pad brush with soap and water and you wash it out and throw it in your dishwasher a few times. Like everyone's like, put it in the freezer. That doesn't work. I don't know what people are talking about. I guess because they think that the ice shrinks the candle and then you can just pop it out. That's a, that's a pipe dream people. So anyway, I didn't need ice or this or that. I just took a spoon and just kept scraping away at the wax and it wasn't scraping up the floor. And then I just did it over and over and over. It's actually kind of meditative. And then I swept it away and then I had my little um, wood polish shine and I just buffed it with a cloth. I even did the same thing on the chair and it was totally fine. So now I don't have to move. But anyway, so I'm like, well, I need to replace that thing. Cause there's just this, it's just this little moment. It's just a little area near my chair that needs some height. So I went to pier one and I found like this, these cute little like reeds that are already in a vase. And I'm like, it's a floor vase. I'm like, perfect. I'll just put that there. But then I bought an awesome pineapple candle holder and it's like, you put it on a table though. It's not you know, whatever. So that little corner is so much cuter than even it was before. Sometimes a candle melts and it opens up a whole new world. So I'm in pier one and I'm starting to get the vibe. The like, so I, I went and I bought some new pillows and, uh, some new throw blankets in lieu of, because there's something in me that's like, I want new furniture, but I don't want to spend that money and I can't really afford that right now. So I just got like an awesome blue and gold sequin pillow that doesn't look Christmassy. It just looks fun. Like maybe a fun eccentric lady lives here, but I was like, Ooh, it's almost Christmas. I know you're like, no, it's not. It's June. I'm telling you, it's going to be Christmas before you know it. Christmas in a box. (laughs) It's coming. This is going to go viral, you guys. So July, they're going to start playing Hallmark movies, like reruns. But this year, they have 32 new movies. Um, let's see. And I'm, I'm Googling it right now. So, But I acted like a total freak in Pier 1, and I have to <laughs> explain. Okay. Oh, wait. No, Spring Fever. No, Christmas movies, you ass. Hallmark Channel, 31 new movies, Christmas What's this year, 2018? Okay, Countdown to Christmas, 2018. The Countdown to Christmas begins. There's going to be 22 new all-holiday original movies. 
That's not enough. I thought it was 31. God damn it. Wait, what is this? From November? Okay, wait a minute. From November 15th to 19th, Hallmark Channel descends on New York City's meatpacking district to transform an 8,000-square-foot gallery space into the Museum of Christmas, a first-of-its-kind experience designed to bring out this season to life. Oh, my God, in actual New York City, not fake New York like in the movies. Um, I have to go to this. I have to go to this. I'm watching the ad right now. Um, Why did no one tell me this? Why is New York... I live in New York half the year. Why is no one in New York, like, buzzing about this? I'm dying. I'm dying. Okay. I'm watching an ad, and it's taking forever. November 15th through 19th. The Hallmark Channel Museum of Christmas in New York City? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Make America great again. It's already great. Oh, my God. I want to work here. Oh my God! Yep. It really is like a museum, but it seems like it had dropped to here from the North Pole or something. It's really exciting. Wait, did this already happen? There's a crazy. It's called the Infinity Lightroom, full of Christmas lights and mirrors. There's huge ornaments that you can sit inside of. There's. Wait, it looks like this has already happened. I'm losing my mind. How did I not go to this? Okay, it's a bunch of children in those ball pits. It actually just looks like a museum of germs, TBH. It actually doesn't look that fun at all. It looks like what you think Hallmark would do. It's like you're already in New York where you can just go down the street to Rockefeller Center and you guys made this like, there's dogs in there? You can't bring a dog in there. No, it's too many children. It's all kids. Forget it. Forget it. Why do kids have to ruin Christmas? Oh, anyway, so okay, Hallmark is announcing twenty-two new movies for Christmas. I want to know what any of them are about. Um, hang on one second. Hallmark Christmas movies, twenty eighteen. I just want to read one plot. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Hallmark Channel airing 30 will hit a record new 34 Christmas movies this year. Here's what we know so far. <gasps> oh my god. Oh my god. The countdown to Christmas starts on October 27th, bitches. This is why I decorate before Halloween. We don't know much about the movies they'll show just yet, but one will star Dana McK- McKellar. Yeah, we know that. Another one, Vet will star Kelly Martin in what the network calls an emotional story of heroism and homecoming. It better be a female vet. Hallmark execs have noted that they're running out of picturesque villages to film their movies. What? Which usually shoot in the summer around Vancouver, Canada, so it's likely location scouts are working overtime. I don't want to hear that we're running out of picturesque villages. Just got so depressed. Don't say it. So many, so many animals are becoming extinct and now locations for Hallmark movies are running out. What are we doing to the earth? Anyway. I don't even know if my story of acting like a freak at Pier 1 is even that good, but I ordered a bunch of stuff online to pick up at the store and I paid in advance. 
It seems like an easy process. Then you get an email. They go, here's your order number. Here's the stuff. You walk into the store. They didn't, they, they, no one even knows that this option existed. They're like, and you paid for it already? I'm like, yep, I bought it online to pick up in store. And they're like, huh. And they stand there and I'm like, I think you have to go in the back. I actually had to say, I think you have to go in the back room and look. And they were like, right, right. This girl looks, she comes back. Here's everything. And I'm like, I never do this. I always just grab the thing and go. I'm like, I'm going to look through the bags. I was like, oh, the orange, like velvet pillow is missing. She's like, huh? And I show her the paper. See, I paid for it. Huh? I go, could you look in the back again? Maybe there's a missing bag. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. So she does that. And then she comes back. Now this was, I thought it would take two seconds barring any line, which there wasn't. And I had to be somewhere in like 15 minutes. So I didn't think it would take 15 minutes because the reason I ordered in advance is so I didn't have to spend 15 minutes at the store. I could walk in, walk out. You see, I've done it before. And so that she couldn't find it. She's like, you can just pick another one. I'm like, right. But I wanted that one. She's like, yeah, we don't have that one. I'm like, so something's going to happen here with you. I paid for something. You don't have it. She's like, the system says we have three though. I'm like, that doesn't really help me because I don't see it anywhere. So she's like, you can just pick out a different pillow. I'm like, honestly, what I was trying to avoid was standing here picking on anything. I just wanted to come in and go. I, I kind of don't have time. She's like, well, we can return it. I'm like, you know what? Perfect. Just give me a refund. And I'm like, you'll get my card on file, right? She's like, well, no, we need to do all this. And she's like, name. And I see that she's putting my name in the address column when she's filling it out on the computer and she's putting my address in the name column. And I don't say anything at first. And then she hits enter. It's like, and I'm like, you you put my name in the wrong thing. She's like, I have to put your name in. I'm like, no, 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 look, look. And I had to like touch the computer, but you put it in the address thing. She's like, oh, and it was taking forever. And I'm like, honestly, what's the shortest thing here? If I just get another pillow for 1999, can I just walk out? She's like, I think so. So then I walk over and I'm trying to look for another pillow. I can't find one for the same price. I'm like, you know what? I really have to go. I'm like, how about just, she's like, how about come back tomorrow morning? She's like, maybe we'll have what you were looking for then. I'm like, no, how about not? How about I go, listen, I'm feeling stressed. I just want to, and I'm acting neurotic. I'm like, I just wanted to come in and leave. And I'm, and, 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 and I'm not clear on how can I get out of here in five minutes? Tell me what to do. Part of me was like, I should just leave and donate 1995 to Pier One. Like, so basically that's kind of what I did. I like, eventually I was just like, she's like, you can't come back tomorrow. And like, I couldn't, I had appointments all day. I'm like, I can't. She's like, what about Saturday? And it's like, yeah, there's no reason why I can't come pick a pillow out two days later, but I wanted the pillow now or just not want it. Like, I just wanted everything to be over. And I was like, uh. I was like, sorry, I'm really busy. She's like, you seem like you have a really stressful job. No, I don't. I was just, I'm a stressful person. I was just like, I lost my mind. I basically was like, I got to go. The 1995, it's fine. Great. Someone enjoy it. Got to go. And I just left. And then they called me the next day. They're like, we refunded your 1995. I knew they had the fucking card on file. Oh God. See, I knew that was the worst story ever told. I knew it. I know. I know. Somebody has a question about the economy. All right. Let's see if I can help. How's the sound of papers rattling? Is that fun? Hi, Jen. Before you pass it off, let me just say that I'm a 23-year-old first-generation Mexican immigrant who grew up in the barrios of the border. Um, I wasn't a Bernie supporter. I feel like he excluded my people. Actually, the Latino community either gets antagonized or used as coins when it comes to political parties. Oh, I know. I've seen it my whole life. When it comes to what you said, there's two things. Most of my generation, including me, is just upset that college is expensive and the job outlook is bleak. 
And this is a reason why millennials aren't having kids or doing what the past generations at least got the chance to do. Well, let me say this. College was always expensive. My college was ridiculous expensive. State schools were always everyone's best option. We had the same thing in the 90s. It wasn't too long ago where the rich went to college and the broke didn't. Um, I had three jobs. I was on a work-study program. I had student loans. My mom paid for one year, like, and I paid off my loans after 20 years. Like, I had the same thing. Now, I think uh, jobs were booming in the 90s. I think... Um, because of the tech boom. So we suddenly had this influx of all new jobs. And that could still be happening if we had leaders that put money into new jobs, but we're saving 50 coal mining jobs instead of retraining everyone to work in solar or work in this or do that. So we have the jobs exist, but they don't exist, if that makes sense. So I, I you know, and then don't forget there was the Great Depression. Like the millennials, this is not the first generation this has happened to, okay? This is an age-old story in fucking America. I'm not saying it's good and like just get used to it. But here's the deal. Okay. Um, anyways, there's a way to survive when you're poor. I grew up that way and it gives me an advantage over my friends that never lacked anything. Absolutely. I had a friend who was very wealthy. Her parents paid her rent. And she never really knew what she wanted to do. She did comedy a little bit. She loved it. She was great at it. She should have kept, should have kept at it. But then she didn't want to do it. And then, blah, blah, blah. And then one day she said to me, I really admire, because we used to have fights about money. She'd be like, I don't get why you don't just take 300 out of the ATM if you're going to pay that $3 fee. I'm like, I have $20 in the bank. Like, I need to pay whatever fee because I don't have any money. And this is the only way I can access my money on a Sunday, my $20 that I have. You know, it was like going to the ATM, it was like going to a slot machine. Like, what will I get today? And so she said to me, she really admires the fact that I didn't come from a lot of money because it actually put a fire under my ass and she wishes she had had that. So th- you're definitely right about that. Um, I'm an optimist. If my mom could make it as an undocumented single mother with three children, then so can I. Absolutely. But that being said, I graduated this past May and I'm looking for a job. I studied writing and film, knowing the lack of stability in the field. Well, no, not even the lack of stability, the lack of opportunity right away, you know, because it is a, um, you have to learn your craft, get better at it, be invaluable. Uh, those industries, people want you to do a lot of work for free being an intern, but you know, so it's like, I don't know. So, okay. College debt is inevitable. So I decided that I might as well study my passion. I dream of being a novelist, but I also want to work in production. I'm not asking if you know anyone hiring, although if you do, I'd send you my resume right now. I really don't. I'm like not in that world. Like they just, it's like not, you just have to like be, you actually have to like live here. It like, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I'm just worried about the future considering the fact that I don't have the money safety net that my classmates had. Could you just share a little more about those years in your early twenties when you're in the same sinking ship? Yep. I was on that ship until I was 35. So make no mistake because, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, to me, college is not just because, because, okay, let me put it this way. When I was in college, there was literally no internet. It was just starting. So just imagine everything in your life today, like didn't exist. So for people going to college in the early nineties for certain kinds of jobs, they were kind of like on this weird bubble when they graduated in like the early nineties because they missed the whole tech boom thing. And, and so like now you can go to college for like internet-y stuff. I'm a hundred. Um, so in a way there's, there's new things happening every day that are new job industries people can have. And I, I don't know if like 
just learning the trades of said jobs is better than like going to college. I, I look at college as a way to like enlightenment and being smart and being educated. And, 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 and obviously that's why I wish it could be affordable so that everyone could have those opportunities. Um, I've never known a world where college is affordable. Like I'm not from a different time, you guys. Um, so what I'm saying is, uh, in a weird way, I know there aren't jobs per se, but there's opportunities. Like I, when I first moved to New York, like I only knew how to get a nine to five job at Boston Ballet, answering phones, making whatever thousand a year. I don't even know. Um, you know, probably eight to $10 an hour. I don't know what I was making. And when I moved to New York, or Los Angeles in 2002, I was 27 and I'm like, I'm going to clean houses. And I was like, I can just put an ad on Craigslist and like tell someone I'll come to their house and they can pay me under the table. Like that was my little using the internet. And now it's like, I'm not saying you want to do this, but like a person could be a Postmates driver, Instacart, um, this and that, like sell things on eBay. I mean, there's a million little ways to be like mini entrepreneurs and work a fat, like this woman I know, one of the most genius things, she's my new handy woman because as you know, my old handyman was a Jill Stein freak and he freaked me out, but she knows how to use tools and she taught herself a valuable thing. And now she'll come to your house and organize it and stuff that people with a little extra money will pay you to do. So it's like, you guys have this internet thing that I didn't have where you can put your job skills online and be hired as day players here and there. It's not stability, but if you're talking about just making a paycheck while you pursue what you love, that's what I did till I was 35. You know, I was a transcriber. Um, I type really fast. So, you know, you watch those shows like um, the Home Makeover Show. Well, the, all those interviews with the family, like, well, when, you know, those are hours and hours long. So I would get the raw footage and I would type out everything everyone's saying so that they could give it to the editors. And, you know, instead of paying people to do it full time, they underpay uh, freelance people. So, I mean, I did every odd job I could. I cleaned houses. I did anything, you know, um, I, the, the two things I always wished I'd learned how to do were do- walk dogs and bartend. It always seems people need that, but I don't know how to do either. But, you know, there's this opportunity for your generation to be a little more entrepreneurial than ours was in terms of making a quick shitty buck. Now, in terms of being a novelist and all your dreams, that's amazing. Like I always think following your heart just energy wise opens you up to possibilities you never dreamt of. And it sounds like you're an artistic, open, optimistic person. So what you end up, what you end up doing for a living, like your big high ticket, big money item career is going to be, um, probably something you never even dreamt of. I'm sure you will get to work in film and, and writing, but it'll be, you know, who knows your novel might be about something that you actually like, whatever you're going through now could be what your novel is about. So if you have to take some job as a housekeeper in Paris, like maybe that's your novel, you know, it's like, it's just stay open to everything. And just, I just, what I would want to wrangle out of the millennials is if you guys are fighting against those articles written about you that you've ruined avocado toast or something like that, then, then get the mindset out that like your generation, this is not something new. This, there's no jobs for people with, uh, arts degrees, or there's no jobs for young people or college is expensive. This has our, this is not unique. Um, 
Bernie Sanders is controlling the narrative of that bullshit in a weird way, that is pissing me off because now millennials hate Gen X people. And it's like, we had similar problems. Now I know there's more millennials, you're a bigger generation. Like, and we've had right wing leadership, uh, you know, this past year, but like you guys grew up with Obama, like we grew up with Bush, like, and Reagan, like we had it fucking bad dudes. Like we grew up in the eighties, like the first big, like disparity between the rich and the poor and trickle down economics. Like my generation had it fucking bad, you know, like it's same shit. So it's just like humble yourself. Like think of money as it's just something you need to get. It's our barter system. And don't focus so much on the thing that you want to spend your life doing as the thing that's going to pay you right now. Even let yourself go maybe 20 years it'll take for me to get paid doing the thing I love, my dream. There's dreams and there's getting paid. And if you can separate the two, eventually they'll come together. But our dream is what we do on this side. Like having kids, a 24-7 job, right? People don't get paid to have kids. They have kids. And then they got to do the other thing, the barter system. They got to go do a thing they don't like to get the money so they can enjoy the kids. And I kind of think of it that way. Like our, our, our passion, that's our kid. You know, there's no congratulations I had one. No one pays me to pursue my art. You know, it's going to take a while to get paid for it. Um, you know, uh, you could probably make more money faster by doing these little entrepreneurial things using the internet than you could being a PA, which is like a 12 to 14 hour day and you make like 10 bucks an hour, you know? Um, so, you know, and honestly, there's a lot of sense of like, oh, you work your way up and you're a PA. That's eh, kind of bullshit. You know, it's like, I never did that stuff. I never came up that way because I was like, ah, eh, that's BS. So I don't know. I hope that's inspirational. I don't mean to be the old lady like, it's always been terrible, Sonny. But I think you have the right attitude. And a lot of people stubbornly don't have the humility. They're like, I must get paid for what I studied. Or I want to be a comedian, so I want to make my money doing that. It's like, you will. But if you can humble yourself to go, I'll fucking work at Starbucks if I have to, like, then you fucking do that, you know? Um, you just never know what's going to break for you and what's going to make you make all this money. Like, you just don't know. And just be really, really, um, I don't know, as grateful as you can be, as humble as you can be, as whatever. But yeah, there is a system set up against us in a lot of fucking ways. It's not easy. Uh, I don't know of a time when it has been easy. So uh, I don't say that to be a jerk. I think there's been years here and there when when things have seemed easy, but every generation is like, oh, we got totally fucked by the baby boomers. I mean, that's just basically it. Um, well, what an ending. Oh, I was going to read a fun article. Is it quick enough? Yeah. How about you could become a scam artist. How about this? This is one of my new favorite things. So in the past week, I've read three stories about these female, female scam artists. One article is way too long, but it's about a fake. She was a fake, um, socialite who took people for millions of dollars. Um, it's unreal. If you want to look it up, maybe it'll inspire you. Her name is Anna Delvey. She's a fake German heiress. A-N-N-A-Delvey, D-E-L-V-E-Y. And um, a writer named Jessica Pressler did uh, 
an expose on her in New York magazine. So um, if you Google all that, you'll find it. And it's a great read. And it's almost like your head spins. But this is my new favorite woman. This woman is who you should be emailing for job advice because she seems to have figured it out. Now, it didn't end well for her. But man, was she living it for a minute. Okay. As the Telegraph reports, British designer and painter Larissa Watson, 50 years old, was arrested on Monday in Italy after allegedly trying to steal a yacht from an exclusive Portofino resort on the Italian Riviera. Italian police claim Watson nonchalantly climbed aboard a Sangermanai day cruiser yacht that retails for just about $177,000. As fate would have it, the keys of the vessel, which was owned by a local rental company, were on board. So she merely started up the engine. The 50-year-old, described by the Italian police as tall, blonde, and refined, was about to head out of the picturesque port, which is lined with pastel-colored houses and popular with tycoons and celebrities, when she was spotted by a harbor worker who became suspicious. The The worker ran along the dock and somehow jumped aboard the boat in the nick of time, only to grab the keys away from Watson and steer it back to the mooring. Watson was then arrested and charged with theft after the incident on Monday. She is set to appear in Genoa court next month. But the story doesn't end there. Lest you think luck was simply on Watson's side and that she serendipitously stumbled upon the boat, Italian police now claim that this may have been part of her plan all along. Nothing like this has happened before in Portofino. It's very unusual. Captain Simone Clementi of the Career Biennary told the Telegraph, by looking through her Facebook and Instagram accounts, we found that she had done navigation courses in the past and knew how to handle a boat. She nearly made it out of the harbor. The police also claim that Watson, who has four kids, had been in Italy since at least February and that she allegedly left hotels and restaurants across the country without paying. The Italian newspaper La Riviera, which first christened her the Portofino Pirate, even wrote, The double life of Larissa Watson seems to have come straight out of a film. In Britain, she's an esteemed artist. In Italy, she's a thief who's been under scrutiny by the police for some time. So that's what you got to do, people. That's what you got to do. Go to restaurants. Don't pay for your dinner. Steal a yacht. If you see a jet on a runway, just get in there and fly away. You got to be people. We don't have the system set up to help us win. We've got to take what's ours. So get out there and grift. Until next week, have fun. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.